Hey everybody, Coach Jonathan here. I want to apologize for the audio quality in this week's episode. We ran into some issues with our recording software. We're tracking them down so it won't happen again. It shouldn't affect the ability to understand the podcast, but every once in a while you might hear some weird stuff. We apologize for that. On to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. It's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist. The Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. Today we are talking all about nutrition because we have Alex Larson from Alex Larson Nutrition back with us. Alex, you had a baby. I did. My goodness, and yeah. you're already back with us. Well, it's been a couple <laughs> months, but I still need to feel like a normal human being outside of, you know, being with this <laughs> infant for 22, 23 hours a day. So This makes you feel totally normal, right? I know. Like, I yeah. feel like... A bunch, <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> bunch of nerds on cubes on screen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll take what Is I can it, get. What, has it... Every every kid's different. This is your third one, Alex? Yeah. Like, so I have two boys. They're my older, and now I have a girl. I had a girl in September. So that is really exciting. So a lot more floral print clothes on this baby. <laughs> and I swear, like, little baby girls make much cuter noises than our boys did. That was the, <laughs> the thing we noticed, like, right away. Like, oh, this is way, way cuter noises. So she's great. When's though. your next baby? Never. We are done. <laughs> That's this what people say it. about Iron Man's too, until they forget about the last Iron Man. No, how hard I, it was I'm, like, of, I, I'm officially, I'm officially done. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how, yeah. Impressive to anybody that decides to have more kids than adults in the house. That's <laughs> Yeah, uh, we're that's playing crazy. zone and this is enough. Any new insights from recovering from pregnancy so far that you'd like to share with endurance athletes, like from that perspective, at least? Yeah. Is there anything? Well, it's a little different now for me because like this is my third and final. So I very much am going in with this mindset of like, I'm going to take take care of myself. That's going to be a really big priority. And so something that was really interesting was back in July, I had my ferritin check, my iron stores, and they were super low. And right before I delivered, like two weeks before I delivered, they did some iron infusions for me to just because they were so low, they were worried about like recovery. And I was going to be super tired already, like trying to, you know, heal and take care of a newborn and then having really low iron levels, they were concerned. So amazingly at my six week appointment, I had them recheck my ferritin levels. So they went from seven to 224, which was wild. And that's actually a little on the higher side. So I don't need to take an iron supplement for a while now, but I definitely noticed a huge difference in just how less tired I had been like in previous postpartum periods. So yeah, that was kind of an interesting nutritional insight um, from that perspective. Um, but yeah, like the whole breastfeeding thing is always way harder than anyone ever would expect, but there is no appetite, like breastfeeding appetite. Like I just eat all the time cause I'm constantly hungry and thirsty and that's been kind of fun. Mm-hmm. It's like Iron Man Alex- diet all, all over again. <laughs> what, does, <laughs> what does low iron, what could that do to somebody? And is that more common in men or women? It's more common in women, just like with menstrual cycles, typically. Not to say that men wouldn't have a low iron, but usually more common in in female athletes. But with low ferritin levels, you'll just notice that your fatigue a lot easier is the big one for sure. You notice definitely some performance improvements if your ferritin is, you know, at a optimal level. I mean, for me, I like to see our athletes at like a 50 or above. Sometimes you'll see a little bit of hair loss with low iron, like deficiencies. There's lots of different things, but the fatigue is the big one in terms of performance. 
And that's because there's less red blood cells, right? But the, yes, you need exactly. iron to create that. Yep. And so for, for men out there too, if you decide, well, I'm just going to supplement with iron a bunch. If you supplement too much, you can cause cancer and other issues. So it's not one of those ones that you can just bang like vitamin C or something. Yeah. Well, with any, any nutrient, you know, if you're taking it too much, there's side effects. You know, if you take massive amounts of vitamin C, you can easily get the diarrhea. So it's like, yeah, you know, when you get sick, my mom's always like, oh, pump in the vitamin C. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm going to ha- take reasonable amounts. Thanks. Like, <laughs> so, I like calling yeah. it the diarrhea. Like, <laughs> well, yeah. Because <laughs> it is the yeah. black lung. <laughs> I, I talked to you. <laughs> Same thing, basically. I, I, uh, pro athlete that I knew, a uh, female pro athlete, uh, went in for a blood test expecting low iron. They weren't adapting to their training. They were feeling super fatigued. They were doing everything else. And their iron was up darn near 300, if I remember correctly. Oh, wow. Uh, so quite high. And, that was like a shock to that athlete to try to figure that out. So this is like, I hear iron commonly assumed as like, I'm fatigued and I'm an endurance Mm -hmm, athlete and particularly on the women's side. And it's like a common narrative that I've heard, but it is absolutely worth doing what Alex did, getting it checked. And just like what Nate was talking about, it's worth, and you can get your iron levels checked with like a, I know that some blood tests can be really expensive, but a very basic blood test should give you your ferritin levels and, and that sort well, of stuff. Well, I right, think Alex? the standard one will do like your red blood cell, your hemoglobin and all that. But I think you do have to request specifically ferritin. I don't think that's yeah. standard in there. You, you do have to ask for it. So yeah, when I had asked for it in July, I was, I said, Oh, I'm just curious what it is. But really I was suspicious just cause I had been like extremely tired. And then when it came back seven, I was a little embarrassed. I was like, Oh my gosh, that is really low. <laughs> In the US, How are you coping online, with sorry. In the US, oh, there are sorry, online kits that you can buy too to test it at home and send it in if you don't want to go to the doctor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How are you coping with the lack of sleep? I assume there's a lack of sleep unless it's like a dream baby. Uh, she's a pretty good baby. <laughs> all dream babies. Yeah, she's a pretty good baby. <laughs> Usually, we're up sorry to sometime children. between like one and two a.m. and then again sometime between like four and five. But every once in a while, she'll give me like a nice like five six hour stretch, which is like whoo, like you know. Awesome. A little energy shot there. But it's interesting now with three kids because there's been a couple nights, like last night, for example, I was up feeding her and then she was like wide awake, like super happy, like giggly. I'm like, this is so cute, but not at 3 a.m. And then my three-year-old like walks out of his room and he's like, morning, mom, is it time to get up? And I was like, uh, no, go back to bed. (laughs) So I was like, what is going on? It was just a weird night last night. So I did have a little caffeine today to get me through. (laughs) <laughs> are, are you doing any sort of like uh are you back to any sort of like consistent like endurance training or anything else right now what's your plan with that and how are you going to go about doing that yeah so i did sign up for uh grandma's half marathon in june next year that's in my hometown here and Whoa. yeah i i do really love that race it's fantastic so right now i'm just doing some strength training when i can fit it in usually when the baby's like wide awake and just kind of hanging out i will do some sort of like calisthenics and planking and pelvic floor, like strengthening and that type of stuff just during the day for like 15, 20 minutes. And probably in a month or so here, I'll start doing some like cycling on the bike just to get some movement. It's going to be winter. It's going to be hard to get out and do some running just to figure out timing with kids and my husband's schedule. So I'm thinking probably February, March, I'll get some start running again. 
sounds like you're not rushing it and you're willing to be flexible. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I had a pelvic floor therapist tell me she likes to see her athletes wait like five, six months before they really start running on a regular basis, just because it takes a lot longer than people think to really heal everything up. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Awesome. Well, Alex, thanks for uh, being on here. Yeah. I'm going to run right into Rowan's question. It says, all the nutrition advice I keep hearing is about getting in tons of carbs, often in gel forms, both during and after rides. I'm curious because all that amounts to so much sugar consumption. All the other nutrition advice I hear that is not focused on endurance performance states that we should minimize sugar in our diet. So I'm curious if eating all of the sugar might be good for performance, but bad for long-term health. Since I'm not going to be making any money from cycling, quite the opposite, actually, I want to make sure, and that's his words, not mine, Rowan. <laughs> I want to make sure that's not an aside that I'm judging or something. Uh, I want to make sure that I'm not being short-sighted in how I approach my nutrition. Any guidance on how to balance nutrition for performance and what is best for long-term health or other considerations here? Love the podcast and app. Keep up what you're doing. Uh, and I just wanted to share this one. We've covered this sort of topic before. We'll do this one real fast, but we got a lot of discussion about this going on just based off of the recent YouTube video we just published all about like a science-based nutrition plan that you can follow for cyclists on trying to optimize your intake. Super popular video. You obviously, if you listen to the podcast, heard about it on the previous week, but check it out if you haven't. It's on our YouTube channel, Trainer Road or youtube.com slash Trainer Road. But Alex, I'm sure you get this from your clients. So what's like the short answer that you give them when they're concerned about taking in so much sugar? Yeah, I think it's really common for, especially with society's diet culture to really fear sugar. But for active adults, we are very much um, needing that sugar for a purpose and our body is going to use it very efficiently to fuel our workouts. Yes, for non-athletes, they do tend to overconsume sugar and they don't need that, all that sugar. But when we're not when we're restricting, you know, sugar or fuel during workouts that, I mean, ultimately your body's going to start looking elsewhere for energy because it's, it's going to need something. So it might use some energy from fat stores or it will, I guess, but it will also use quite a bit of muscle breakdown as well, which I think you highlight in that video. And so really just keep in mind that no matter what level athlete you are, you're still worthy of fueling. You're just going to need to align and match your carb sugar consumption with your volume and intensity of activity. Yeah. Ivy, uh, anything stand out to you in this one before we move on to the next question? Yeah. I mean, the statement that just stood out to me was that they were like, yeah, I'm not going to be making any money from cycling the opposite. So, you know, I don't want to be short-sighted and how I approach my nutrition, you know, it's, I feel like it's pretty normal for cyclists to spend a lot of money on equipment upgrades and, you know, your bike and wheels and stuff and miss this last few percentage of something more to spend money on. Like I get it. It's really can be really expensive to fuel your workouts, but it's, I feel like that last few percentage can be so much more impactful than something like an equipment upgrade that like maybe will save you, make you feel a little bit faster on the bike. You know, all these things like that you can spend a lot of money on make you feel a little bit faster, but to feel appropriately for me makes me feel, you know, tens, 20%, like so much better than if I wouldn't, you know? So I know it seems like just piling on this, like more things to spend money on, but in my opinion, it's one of the most valuable things that you can spend money on as a cyclist, nutrition, and then of course, like appropriate training. Train road is super affordable. And like, these are things that will make a much more significant impact for you when you're deciding on what to spend your money on with cycling, then, you know, 
the arrow wheel set or, you know, what else is there? Super cool arrow socks. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's so much. How expensive were those socks again? Like $1,200 that we Crazy. found? Crazy. It's insane. insane. Yeah. $1,200 for arrow socks. It's I crazy. think though, and Ivy, this question, they're more concerned about long-term health than getting faster. And Alex, what you said is, well, pair your carb intake to your workouts. That's mm -hmm. the rub. Like, how do you do that? And that's the part where people get confused and they say, well, I'm not working out for like two days. So I don't need any carbs at all because I have time to recover. Yeah. You still definitely need carbs on your rest days. You just don't need maybe quite as much because you're not fueling those workouts necessarily. You know, if you're having some carbs before a workout during, if it's long enough and then some after, you know, you might not need those on a rest day, but you still need to make sure you're getting carbs because it's all about reloading those glycogen levels. It, it surprisingly can take a, a long time. It can take days to really fully reload those glycogen levels after, you know, a really um, challenging, you know, training block. So it, it takes some practice, I think, to match and align those carb intakes with your, your exercise. And that's something that, you know, we work with our athletes a lot on is just giving them kind of like a structured plan so that they feel really confident and comfortable with their food choices and fueling. And feel, they don't have to worry about, oh, am I over consuming or under consuming? You know, they feel like they're in the ballpark of where they need to be. I think the top two things that people are concerned about are uh, one type two diabetes, mm -hmm. developing insulin resistance. And that's what you like. If you read cult, diet culture, it's kind of the, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you can, and the other is body composition of like carbs will make me fat. And I'm this athlete who wants to be really fast being overweight with extra, uh, fat on your body can lead to, you know, heart conditions like being obese, cancer, heart risk, lots of things. But the exercise is like the cure-all for all of those things, right? I, I just don't, I'm sure there is some kind of study on here, but if it led to type two diabetes, I think we would see all the pro athletes who just slam carbs all day long, get type two diabetes. And it's the opposite. Like exercise reduces the chance while you're doing this. It's the, the, also with body composition too. I don't know the people who eat the most sugar, nothing like Keegan, uh, are the thinnest, which is really crazy because it allows them to train the most and have them get the most other workouts and recover and be consistent and all of that. Uh, I, so yeah, that's the, that's the tough part. Yeah. That video you referenced, them. Jonathan, that video really kind of explains it well in terms of like that low energy availability and what it does to your body. You see muscle loss, you see hormones get deregulated. And you know, when you see, those hormone levels be negatively affected, like, like cortisol, for example, that's a, that's very well associated with increased belly fat. And so, you know, you, if you can consistently fuel well over time, we tend to see really good results with body composition and you, you don't see that, you know, gradual weight gain that can often happen from athletes that are kind of in that restrict binge kind of cycle that we see a lot of times. This is why I think the safest bet is to during your workouts, like Alex said, like that's when you need to pack it in and feel the work. It's just like, you know, your car and everything else. Or I, I uh, this probably doesn't make, if you have an electric car, like you don't just like keep the battery full at all times and you're not using it. Like you, you charge it up when you need to use it. And that's like when you want to, you know, get it going. And I think it's, everyone always forgets this and I'm just going to run through some kilojoules really quick. So let's just say that you rode for one hour. And for that one hour, you rode at 150 watts. That's 540 kilojoules that you've burned. It's like 100. If you were to look at that just in terms of carbohydrates, that's 126 grams of carbs. So, like, you, there's this, there's this tip. Sorry, go ahead, Nate. You wouldn't burn all carbs on that, but yeah, that's there'd be Certainly. a mix between fat and carbs. But yeah, 
But if you're looking to try to like fuel the amount of work that you're doing and, and just make sure that you aren't after that workout in some sort of a hole that you need to worry about cortisol spiking, that you need to worry about other hormonal imbalances and everything else. This is why you should fuel the work. Even when it's easy, you should, you can fuel the work. Do you have to do it at 160 grams of carbohydrate like Mateo Jorgensen? Probably not, right? Not to mention that would probably cause the diarrhea as we talked about earlier, but you can <laughs> find like, find your balance and just, you know, Alex Wilde said this at one point and he said like, when my pedals start turning, I start, ta I start taking in my carbs. Like, and that's like a thing. And I think that that's a really good mindset to get into is just like, well, whenever I'm riding, I make sure I'm making sure that I'm taking something in and I'm doing it regularly because the, the trickiest part is that you end up depleted, starving you absolutely destroy your fridge. You have a snake meal, like Ivy says, where you're just like everything that you can get, you just fit it in. <laughs> and then after that, you're like, well, no carbs for two months because I, I, you know, because like you're punishing yourself for it. And it's this cycle that can become super unhealthy with food. And that's why Alex is saying like, fuel the work and focus on feeling the work because then that allows you the flexibility to be able to, like Nate said, you're taking a couple of days off. That allows you the flexibility to really fit in all that variety that you need in your diet and then just pack the carbs in during and surrounding. Yeah. Rowan, if you're concerned about your, your health and you want to optimize for health, but still train, I would, while you're training, do carbs or, you know, have the sports gels and a sports drink. And then the, all the other time, you don't have to have a drop of sugar. Like you can go all whole based carbohydrates, beans, whole grains. It's another good carb source. I can't think of one, but vegetables, yeah. uh, fruit, do all of that. I, I think to fruit, any sugar that's wrapped in fiber, like fruit or vegetables, even whole grains too. Those are, those are a okay. And don't lead to those. I'm guessing you're probably worried about insulin spikes, which aren't necessarily bad, but if you're worried about that, you're not going to go bad with that kind of diet. And then on the bike, have your gels and your sports drink. And then when you're done, just stop that. It, that's probably a good balance if you're, or a good way into this to be able to uh, still get faster and increase body composition, look, improve insulin sensitivity and, you know, general overall health. Yeah, that's a really good point. And pairing it with protein too can help prevent that like mm -hmm. really big sugar spike, helps stabilize blood sugars. Yeah, I think that's a great approach to taking that as well. But if you do find in the afternoon evenings, you're really craving sugar, it's a classic sign that you haven't eaten enough earlier on in the day. So just make sure that you're getting good solid meals in, you're snacking when you need to, so that you're not having that kind of craving, you know, overly hungry situation. If you're worried about those spikes too, like in regular meals, as Alex said, protein or protein and fat earlier mm -hmm. at the beginning of the meal will actually reduce insulin spikes uh, later on. It's just like eating something on empty stomach. It just shoots up. I think the worst is like Skittles, I think, for like, <laughs> uh, like food that they <laughs> tested for an amount of like spike, which makes me think while I'm riding, I want to eat Skittles. That's, that's exactly what I did this weekend. I wanted to do a hundred mile ride on Saturday, have my long endurance ride on my master's plan. And I went out to go do it. And when I, <laughs> I, I had the Skittles around as my anti cramp food too, just in case I cramped it's early in the season in those big days. And I finished with a bag full of Skittles still. So cramping was low, but it's pretty hilarious. I had them in my bar bag and when I'd hit a bump, Skittles would just like fly all over the place. So <laughs> <laughs> like, taste the rainbow. <laughs> what one, one quick thing that Nate mentioned when I was talking about like, this is how many kilojoules you burn in an hour if you're riding at this power, and this is how many grams of carbs that would be. And Nate, you pointed out like you wouldn't be burning all, all carbs with that. There's a really tricky thing that a temptation that I see a lot of athletes go into where they try to divinate like, well, 
during this workout, I will burn primarily fat or primarily carbohydrate or this sort of percentage. So I'll reduce it by this. And that video that we just made is like very numbers centric and focused on that. And if that's your tendency and that's your approach, that's a really hard thing to recommend ever doing because of the fact that like your, your actual, your oxidation rates and the different substrates that you're using and the rates that fluctuates wildly depending on a lot of different factors. It's, it's impossible to say that if you're adding at 70% FTP, it's going to use 80% of this and 20% of that. It's, it's more complex. It's more fluid. It matters in terms of what you've been doing recently up to that chronically. In the end, if you can have this perspective that if I fuel the work and I enable that to happen, and then outside of my training, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on long-term health. But during the training, I'm focused on fueling the work. You will then become more capable of doing more work. And as that, those two increase in relation to each other, as you fuel more and you're able to do more, in other words, your FTP goes up or your ability to perform at a higher percentage of your FTP or your fractional utilization, as that goes up, then you just become more capable of doing more work. And doing more work within reason, not like, you know, maybe some like crazy ultra thing that's like, you know, 20 days in a row or something, I don't know, probably is very unhealthy. But doing more work within reason for all of us is a, the, like a great path toward better health. It's just a, a great solution to it. So if you can kind of have that focus, if I feel the work and that enables me to do more, that is really motivating because then you're like, ooh, I can keep going, Ivy. Jonathan, so are you saying that it's not a fair assumption to say that if I ride at this power, I'm just going to burn 100% fat and my body knows to do that at this power and I don't have to eat anything. <laughs> I have unlimited stores in my body. <laughs> we dream of that. Yeah, are you saying right? that's not yeah. right? That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, not likely. I mean, there are some athletes that are that uh, can achieve extremely high rates of fat adaptation, and it's a really complex thing to go about. And perhaps it's inherently very individualistic, like like forever. That you know, and some people are better at that than others. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's we're a system of faders that's constantly changing. We're not these light switches. And you can do that too if you want to be like a totally fat adapted athlete. You're not going to go as fast or get as high, but it's totally like you can totally do ultra events that way. To John's point, okay, so my FTP now is probably around 200. Old FTP topped at like, what, 365? And the, the longer it's been, the higher it goes since I, like, it's like, was it 367 <laughs> or 370? I forget. It's something like that, but probably 400. 400, but, yeah, yeah, there we go, yeah. So now, like, 200, 210 watts for me feels so incredibly hard, and I can barely hold that. And if you think about the amount of calories, because, you know, the, the higher the wattage is, the more calories per minute or second that you're burning – you know, I'm almost half as fit as I was before. So for every hour of riding, I'm going to do, you know, half the, the less than half or a little more than half the calories. And then also because my endurance is so low, I can't go long an hour. I am cooked. So like before I did, I think at Leadville, I did like 210 normalized Watts for nine hours at 14,000 feet. Now I couldn't like doing that for an hour. I would like, you put, put a gun to my head and be able to do that. That's insane. So that's what we talk about when you focus for the, like the upside, the higher FTP and in our training too, why we don't just do a whole bunch of long and slow. We try to raise that FTP. When you get to those five Watts per kilo, the four, you know, that I did that video, that, that top percentile, you're in like that one percentile, that two percentile, you can start to change these things and adjust yourself. Even probably even before that, you can start to make a change on that. But if you're beginning, you can jump up so fast compared to other people. And we see that all the time, actually for a long time, it's really I don't know if I ever, I never needed to go to the other side. Plus I didn't have the time to do those 20 hour days. 
or 20 hour days, 20 hour weeks. John did a 20 hour day. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> did you ever ever John? I forgot. I ever, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Every time Link it's like five ever. Link yeah. below in the description. <laughs> yeah, I'll share it for people. That's like the paradox, right, Alex? Uh, do you deal with that ever when you have athletes that, because there's a difference between a lot of endurance athletes and, uh, you know, a lot of us may experience to some degree or another, some form of body dysmorphia in the sense that we, assume that like, I need to lose a lot of weight. When in reality, if you look at the general population, you're, you're wonderfully fit and, and your body composition is likely healthy, but we have a self-critical type A athletes have tendencies to look at that small percentage of something. And we magnify that into something that it really isn't. I want to separate us, those people, because that's totally my mindset. And I have wrestled with that all the time. So that's why I'm saying us. So I'll just say me. <laughs> I want to separate me from the fact that there are also people that are listening to this. They're like, well, I have 75 pounds to lose. I have more than that. And like, and how do I go about this? Because, and it's ironic and frustrating that those athletes can't burn more calories, but they're not capable of doing the work yet if they're new to the sport and they aren't, and you know, they have a low FTP as they progress, they'll be able to burn more and, you know, go longer. And as a result, have a higher burn rate and work rate. But how do you handle that with the, is it a totally different approach, Alex, for the athletes that do need to lose a lot of weight and for general health reasons? Yeah. I, th I mean, for me with the cyclists that we've been working with a lot this year, body dysmorphia is definitely something we see quite a bit and they're really honed in on like maximizing their power to weight ratio. And so for them, they get really honed in on the number on the scale. And first and foremost, I want to make sure that the weight that they want to lose is realistic for them. And is it going to be a weight that they reach that's going to be healthy and easy for, for them to maintain? Those are a couple things that kind of cross my mind initially. I can think of one cyclist in mind who was very, very tall. And he estimated his body fat percentage was around like 10%. I mean, he was really lean. And but wow. so he's like still was wanting to lose weight. And I was like, dude, I, I don't think we're going to be able to take much off of you without you like losing muscle mass and strength. And that's not a good thing either. But in his mind, he was really wanting to maximize that power to weight ratio, but he just is so tall that it wasn't really realistic for him to reach a, a certain number on the scale. So it kind of depends on your body type too. You know, some people are just genetically a little bit heavier, mus muscular person and versus someone that might be you know, a little bit more on the petite side and lighter. So you have to kind of pay, pay, pay attention to that as well. Yeah. Is it, how do you handle it if somebody comes to you and says, I want to lose 75 pounds, uh, like a significant amount of weight and it's body fat that needs to be lost? Yeah. Yeah. Is How do you, how do you handle that? Well, I guess I need them to be really patient because that's not something that's going to be, you know, an instant thing. It's going to be a long-term focus. So I also look at, you know, okay, you're wanting to train for these events. So let's kind of periodize your year. And when are you going to focus on weight loss and body composition? And when are we just going to focus on fueling for performance so that you can feel really great in your training, have a really successful race, and then we can kind of swap to you know, in your off season, we can focus on the weight loss. So I think that's really important too. And maybe even during their in season, they see some weight loss as well. It just might not be our priority as well. So I think that's really important. If there's a, a large volume of weight they're wanting to lose, to be really patient, it's not going to be, you know, a couple months, you're going to see that like we want to do it the slow and steady way so that we're really honing in on just 
body fat loss. We're not losing muscle with that and strength. And it's something that would gradually achieve over time. That's something that's so complicated to achieve over that long-term scale too, because it's, For their, it can be really yeah, their frustrating. Mindset, their mindset can get really yeah. frustrated because they, they have this goal in mind, but you have to kind of think of it as like a process, you know, like just a progressive way of getting there. Not like a, not like a, how, like, oh, I'm, I'm going to feel better and I'll be able to perform at the level I want to once I reach that weight. It's like, no, you're mm. still going to live your life during this process. So that's something too, is making sure they're in the right mindset of like, let's still enjoy life and enjoy your training and enjoy your racing while you're working towards this goal. I had a big body comp shift after I had my first two babies and building trainer road. And I say had as in I was supporting, but <laughs> I was, I was like 210 pounds and I was pretty like, it was, it was a fat or not a fat, but it was a, based on my repres it was mostly fat gain and not muscle gain right on that. And then when we did the DEXA challenge and a DEXA is this, this machine you can go into it. It's a dual density x-ray. I don't know. It, it measures your, it can measure your fat and your muscle mass in your body. And we were doing it kind of every month or every two months. And I worked really hard and I was very consistent on my diet training and uh, weight training. I like my cycling training. And I did weight training because I wanted to maintain muscle mass as I was in a caloric deficit, losing some fat. Right. I was like, ah, okay. I lost three pounds. Sweet. That's pretty good. And I went in there and the decks of those showed, I lost seven pounds of fat and gained four pounds of muscle. And I could just imagine, imagine if I lost four pounds of fat and gained four pounds of muscle and it was zero on the scale and I was training so hard. Like I would take that shift, that trade all day long though, and in, inside of it. So there's that aspect too. When you first start getting into training, your scales dropping faster than I think you, you realize it is. And if you have access to a DEXA, I think we just went to a, like a scanning place and I didn't need a doctor's notes. You can just pay 50 bucks and get it. And it was super motivating though, to see that. And I was like, wow, there's more than just the number. Plus then my FTP went up, I was uh, burning more. And it's like this snowball that happens. And it's so easy though, to get stuck in that. Right, how about this? Who here, we got four like, actual professionals here has ever think they had body dysmorphia. hundred percent. Yeah. 100%. Mm. Oh, I struggle had, with it. Had, Alex hasn't. Present? Had. Yeah. Past tense? <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. This morning. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's pretty common. I just want to say that it is extremely common. It's not just for a certain type of athlete or a certain type of person. Uh, all three of us are at very different levels and yeah, definitely have experienced it myself. Yeah. And, and that's, and there's a wide spectrum of body dysmorphia as well. Like you can, there's varying, you know, intensities and varying experiences within it. So, well, this is why, and this is going to sound like a plug for Alex Larson <laughs> and Alex Larson nutrition here, but like we're talking, Rowan's talking about general health. And I know that we talk about making yourself faster and everything else. And that's cool. Like, you know, we get a huge amount of satisfaction out of that, but on the general health side of things, and because that can be such a long road when you're talking about losing a lot of weight and trying to do all that, this is why people like Alex, you should in my mind, pay, be paying somebody like Alex to be able to help you through this because this is something like, like you see like Jeff Bezos spending billions of dollars on trying to like live forever. And like for general health reasons, if you can lose that weight, there's like such direct cause to all cause mortality with, with obesity. And it's such a hard thing to do to like reverse that. And that's why you need people in your corner. And I think that's why, you know, you want people like uh, Alex or 
who knows, any other dietitian that you're working with or anything else. But that's why it's, I feel like in those situations, it's so crucial. Like if you're on the fence and you don't really know what to do, or you've tried something, you've lost motivation, get somebody in your corner to help you because it's, it's worth it. Like, like, like you're saving, you're, you're adding years to your life. It's so, so worth it. Yeah. I, I was can thinking give, about, I, I can ahead. give an example too of like athletes that come in and they're like, I eat well, I exercise a lot, but my cholesterol levels are high. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. It might, it might be just strong genetic family history, but also, you know, if you're chronically been like at a calorie deficit and under fueled, that can be a lot of stress on the body and stress also can affect your cholesterol levels. So sometimes just improving that fueling and aligning it a little bit better can help, you know, lower your cholesterol levels. And that I think is, you know, just goes to show like how the body is all connected. You know what I mean? Like everything's kind of impacted by these little things with nutrition and that has a big impact on, you know, longevity and, and, and your health, you know, having, you know, good blood cholesterol panels. When I think about what Jonathan just said about the, the nutrition or dietitian, what I always think of is, okay, so imagine in my life, this event happens. This is for anything where I need to like spend some money to prevent something. I'm like, if I'm sitting in this event and if I'm in the hospital and I've got diagnosed with cancer, how much would I have paid out of my pocket right then to prevent that? I'm like, would I sell my house? I'm like, yeah. Like what I, you know, would I do all these things? And I'm like, so should I pay like a hundred bucks a month? to prevent it if it's like likely to happen. And it's so, it's a no brainer if you think about it. And you've probably been in situations, disaster, car breaks down and you're like, how much would I have paid to just get the oil changed earlier? Like, you know, like to get out of this situation, usually you end up paying so much more anyways. Plus then you have to go through this experience. It's awful. Um, Alex, I have a question for you. Yeah. Sometimes I see athletes who are, they, they've been training a long time and they've still kind of maybe on the, the, the much, not where the body composition they're kind of like stuck, right? Of somewhere on the higher end. And my personal thought is usually it has to do with alcohol intake where there's a, the people that I'm thinking of that they, they drink a lot of alcohol, but what do you think could be some of the reasons why someone could be on that, you know, not, not in the middle, but that really upper end, still pretty big and been training for a long time. Could be a lot of factors. <laughs> alcohol could definitely be one, which gets to be such a sensitive subject with them too. That's usually not like the first area that I go in discussion with an athlete. If I see quite a bit of alcohol intake, I kind of wait to build some rapport with them and kind of assess like, hmm, when, am I, when are we ready to talk about this? But it could be, I mean, I see, I see so many athletes that are kind of like in that cusp of like, oh, if I could just lose like 10 pounds or, you know, just like not a huge amount of weight, but just like a little bit. And it has to do with a couple, either a couple things. One, they've just been under fueling for so long. So we just like metabolically need to kind of adjust things, or it could be they're getting enough calories, but we just need to rearrange kind of the macronutrient, you know, balance there. Cause sometimes they're trying to push the protein, but with a lot of protein intake, we see the fat intake come up as well. Cause a lot of protein foods will also have quite a bit of fat, even in plant-based, you know, think of like nut butters and nuts and seeds, like just really high fat intake, which adds a lot of calories. And so if we can choose a little bit leaner protein options, get that fat intake down, make sure that we're optimizing carbohydrates in like the right timing of things. Usually we see some really good results in terms of just seeing even like 10 pounds weight loss can make a huge difference for them in that power to weight ratio. 
if you go on and you Google like 10 pounds of fat, there's pictures of people holding what 10 pounds of fat looks like. Yeah. It is, it's, in, it's like a, it's a big baby. Like it it's is. a toddler, like yeah. that you're carrying around. Alex, what are your, some, I'm working on the first question, but I just love when Alex is here. What, <laughs> what are some of your, that was me going through the doc, just saying, not covering this one this week, not covering, but this is a great discussion. <laughs> this is great, right? Alex, what yeah. are some of your, so for triathlon cyclists, what are some of your favorite lean protein intakes? Cause we talk about not getting the fat too high. All fat, fat's not evil, but yeah. if you just oh, yeah, eat sure. short ribs and like ribeyes and stuff, it's probably going to mm-hmm. go a little high. My favorite lean protein options, obviously you can go with like, you know, your chicken, turkey, you know, poultry is pretty darn lean there. Low fat dairy is a good option. I always like adding like a little bit of like cottage cheese to a meal just because like a quarter cup of cottage cheese is like seven grams of protein. It's not very much to, I mean, just that like little bit of scoop can help, you know, boost things up. A lot of our athletes, because they do have a little bit higher protein needs, will do like a protein shake in there just because it is like a good way to boost things up. And we might use it just post-workout for timing, you know, if they're trying to get ready to go to work in the morning, or even just using it as like an evening snack for recovery overnight. Like tofu tempeh, like soy based protein is obviously super lean and great protein there. Or like if they're looking for like a crunchy snack, those dried roasted adamame work really, really well, very high in fiber. So they're really filling nice as a snack and they're really light to travel with. If you're, you know, heading on a plane, like they're just super easy, like super easy to take with. Those are kind of top of mind of things that I can think of that are just really nice lean protein. Like they boost the protein up high, but you won't see the fat get too high. Pete was trying to get me on uh, garbanzo beans as like an exclusive form of protein for a long time. And I was like, man, this is boring. I can't just eat two cans of garbanzo beans every day. He's like, oh, just roast them up and make them crunchy. It's like a snack. I'm like, no, dude, this is boring. I don't like it. Yeah. It's an excellent well, cook, though. It's a lot of fiber. Yeah. So, like, that can be just really hard on your gut if all of a sudden you're eating massive amounts of garbanzo beans. Or it's not, I hated it. But, like, my favorite with garbanzo beans <laughs> is to dry, uh, to take a can of garbanzo beans and I'll like rinse them off, dry them, put just a little bit of oil on them and then taco seasoning and then adding them to like a taco salad Mm -hmm. or your tacos. They are so good because they're like crunchy and like kind of spicy. So those are yummy. Mm -hmm. Maybe enough time has passed. I'll try it again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But like not as like, I mean, not as like a whole snack, but it's just like a, you add it to your, your meal (laughs) to add some nutrition and protein. Ivy just took the can. These aren't good. Just weeping, eating spoon after spoon. I picture you like sitting on the back of a hatchback, like before a race, just like yeah, yeah. in the can, just like Garbanzos. getting a carbon. Yeah, no, thank you. So I try to eat berries every day. And what happens with berries too, is they can be like, you blink and they like go bad. And it's so annoying because yeah. they're expensive. <laughs> what I've been better at though, is like freezing them after a certain amount of days. And so when I'm late for, not late, just I'm busy and I think we're all busy, is I do a protein shake and I have, I do whole milk. Probably don't need to do whole milk if you're an athlete. I'm doing mostly weight training right now. Uh, protein powder, like whey protein powder, on nutrition, creatine, and then I do those frozen berries. And I'm wondering, I do have some fat from the whole milk, but should I be probably, I don't know if I need to add anything else, but I really like that combo of like quick I get some carbs, I get some protein from the berry or from fiber from the berries and I get uh, protein from it. What do you, Alex, would you change anything on that? Or what do you think? Uh, 
No, I kind of like that. I think that's fine. I personally uh, love, and this I'm not like sponsored by them, but Fairlife Milk will be, yes. you know, the be- it's the best. It tastes so good. Nate talks about that all the time. It he is the best. It is so good. And it's I got do. like way more protein. So I really like using that in smoothies. And that's, I usually don't freeze my like fruit that's going bad. I just throw it in fresh if it's just looking a little not <laughs> appealing to eat fresh. So I'll just, th- I just, you know, make smoothies with that. Or you can add like a little bit of spinach or even avocado works well in there too. Ooh, that's a good idea. Spinach. I don't get enough greens. I, yeah. I go to certain grocery stores just for Fairlife milk. And especially for my kids, it's, it's got like 50% more protein for serving yeah. and they drink a lot of milk. Yeah. So I can I, give them more of that. Drinking. And I read something that said like height is expressed by like, I think 60 or 40%, I forget which one, by protein intake. So there's genetics and I'm actually a pretty tall guy. And on the, like you can give, if they don't have protein though, they're not going to develop to their, their full size. And mm-hmm. my son doesn't like to eat any very much meat at all. So I try to give him that. Yeah. I buy the Fair Life whole milk for my kids and they love it. I do that too. One more thing. Sorry. Then you can move on, John. <laughs> I don't think I've said this on the podcast, but I am so like, as now I'm what, almost 42. I'm so anti-alcohol. Like it is I think it's going to be, we're going to look back and it's going to be like smoking. We're like, how could we do this? And if you look at like impacts and long-term health, I think we saw before that there's, you know, back in the nineties, it was like, if you drink a red glass of red wine, it's going to help. And they really looked at those studies and been like, actually it wasn't comparing the, it, it wasn't a legit study. And it turns out that no amount of alcohol is healthy for you. And it, it just has so many negative impacts and you're really hurting your, your life. And, and you think, you know, I need this to de-stress or stuff like that. There are other modern techniques that are not even modern. This is old time breath work and stuff like that. Meditation therapy that can get you feeling better long-term that you don't have these like ups and down spikes all the time of, of, I feel bad. I need to drink. And then I feel better. And you might not even realize you're doing it. If you're drinking alcohol, I would just, I would look into that more and, and challenge why you need to, or if you really if you really should. And it's weird because you go to like, a, like you go to the restaurant, it's a drug, right? I'm like, everyone here is doing drugs. Like <laughs> if you think about it, but we call it alcohol and it's not that, but really everyone here is doing drugs to feel like loopy and they're like making it in front of you all fancy. It's just, it's nuts. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Tell it's, me why I'm wrong in the trauma section. So we, this podcast gets boosted a bunch. Um, <laughs> if you like, <laughs> and then tell the other people why the alcohol is not good. So let's start a debate. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, in share studies that show that alcohol is beneficial or show that alcohol isn't beneficial, share them in the comments so then we can look into those. That'd be an interesting thing to look at, like the commonly referenced studies that are like the hallmark studies that are used for this and, and go through. That'd be a good video for you, John, to do. Yeah. So that's the controversial people not want to la 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 la. They don't want to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> You're must. Yeah. Especially, you know, studies about beer and recovery specifically. I feel like we were all just like, yay, mm-hmm. green card to just <laughs> drink beer after yeah. races. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's really cool though? They, like, I mean, Lewis Hamilton, uh, big F1 fan, big fan of Lewis Hamilton's too. And he's like just released, a, oh gosh, what, some sort of, uh, I think it's like a, an alcohol free tequila. We have athletic brewing. We have all these other things that like tons of great options that are coming out that are non athletic. 10 years ago, even, like if you would have told the world that like this would be happening, like we would have not believed it. So, I, I do like to think that maybe we are recognizing that. And then the social aspect of, cause really it's amazing. Cause a lot of people that, that did drink for the social aspect and then maybe some that stop afterward, you can still maintain the social activity that you have with your friends and everything else, just the same. 
it's you know, yeah, if they give you a hard time about it they're not your friends you right like, yeah <laughs> and yeah i just get it's mocktails rubble. now and you can have the same fun and john gets like sparkling water with lime and you're like oh i don't want the sugar in the mocktails well you're getting alcohol like as the other choice yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you can do sugar-free stuff too and wait well, you said something else that was important before that it was Oh, those, those drinks. There are other drinks too that will have like L-theanine or like lion's mane in them. And they're designed to kind of relax you to get that same kind of like, oh, I'm relaxed yeah. in the evening kind of vibe or with your friends, but without the alcohol intake. I, yeah. I will say I've had some clients, the biggest challenge with alcohol is for them with their job and when they like take clients out to dinner and it's expected that they have a drink with the client. And so they feel so much pressure. And that is real, that is really hard to break for them because it's they're they're trying to like close a sale or trying to like, you know, you know like that, that is really tough for them. And, and I feel for that. As an, as an N equals one on this of a person that like has gone into those environments for years and not done it. I was so worried about that for so many years and I've completely, and I think that it, part of it also is our culture is changing yes, around that. I would agree. Like it's mm-hmm. much more permissive to just be like, yeah, drink whatever you'd like. It's totally okay. And, uh, but I've never once had a situation, I've had people rib me and be like, oh, come on, don't you want to? And it stops there. Like, uh, you know, when you're a teenager or something else, it might be different. And like Ivy said, if it goes beyond that, they aren't your friends. Like, and in a business setting, that isn't professional of them and that's okay. But like, you don't have to, if anybody feels compromised like that, you don't, you don't have to like, like just try it. Trust the fact that if you do this, because you're being true to yourself, that it will work out. And I'm confident that good people will respect that. So, and if you're really worried about it, you can always tell the waiter ahead of time, just give me a virgin one, like whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And they'll do it yeah. too. But also you can tell people, I, uh, you know, we're on the West coast in America. So I'm, maybe it's different in different parts of the world that if you're in like the South in America or the South in the U S but saying, I don't, I don't drink or, you know, some people are in recovery for alcohol and stuff like that. And people are just like John said, John's, you know, LDS. So there's not a, uh, people don't even try to push, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, yeah. I don't know. I know. I'm, I, I'm here in the Midwest. I'm like 15 minutes from Wisconsin. And so it's a little different here. Like they yeah, really right. like their yeah. beer. <laughs> Part of the culture, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for but sure. Even with that, I always feel the miss too. If someone um, orders a non-alcoholic beer, everyone's just like, good for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's cool. You're with me doing it, but I've never seen someone who orders an alcoholic drink be like, no, you need to drink. Because it's like, people understand that people have their own reasons for it. Yeah. Uh, maybe in Europe yeah. though too, it's different. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we can actually have some commiseration in the comments. If, if any of you have had success with this, like let other people know. So then somebody can go to this YouTube video and find great. support for it. You know, that'd be awesome. Uh, okay. Matt's question says, love the show. Always helpful. And by the way, if you're enjoying this podcast, give it a thumbs up, hit the bell. Only 4% of you on YouTube that subscribe to our YouTube channel also hit the bell for notifications to, and that just tells you when we publish a new video. That's a very small percentage. That conversion rate should go up. Those are rookie numbers. So if y'all want to click on that, that would be amazing. Uh, question two. And it'll help us. Yes. Uh, it says I've been struggling with sleep for about a year now. Over the last year, I can remember one to two days where I awoke feeling recovered and ready to go. I did a sleep study and it stated that I had mild apnea. I tried a CPAP, but it hasn't improved anything for me in terms of supplements. I've tried Ambien, melatonin, magnesium, et cetera, but it hasn't helped either. I know Nate has had a long struggle with this and I'd like to hear his anecdotal solutions. I've consulted physicians, but it seems like they're, they aren't offering good solutions and I'm just left paying out more money. 
The lack of sleep is affecting my training and my body weight has gone up by 25 pounds. I'm really hoping to break this cycle. So thanks for any guidance you can provide. So maybe some like anecdotes, uh, Nate, from you, but then Alex, I'd really be interested in your perspective from like a nutritionist perspective on this too. So. Yeah, sleep apnea, serious business. The long-term health effects are huge. So anything that I say like that helped me, like you got to work with a doctor and you got to like retest for sleep apnea. You don't want that thing to go away. And when you say that, what, the CPAP didn't help, do you mean it, it didn't prevent the, like the events while you were sleeping? Or are you saying that like, I didn't feel different with me? I did, you know, I had moderate sleep apnea. It's actually, now that I lifted weights, actually it's gone away, which I view that as a connection to the muscle in my neck, but I'm not sure. I just haven't had an issue anymore, which is really crazy. But the sleep apnea, what happens is while you're sleeping, you stop breathing. And I first did this for my ex-wife, which hear me and and while I was sleeping, I would like choke and go <gasps> and kind of like gasp to wake up. So being diagnosed, like having a partner can in, in bed can really help you understand. So everyone go out and try to find someone to everybody to couple up so we can <laughs> diagnose help. our health issues. <laughs> yeah. T- Tinder stock goes and up. Yeah. For me, um, classically, it's usually I'm with- looking for somebody to help diagnose my sleep apnea. I don't Twitter, <laughs> on Tinder. Imagine I'm going to put that on my Tinder. That's awesome. <laughs> I count my apneas per hour. <laughs> I'll give you a sheet. That's um, amazing. Usually it's, it's like associated with older people and people that are obese. And what happens is you're like, your throat collapses uh, while you sleep. For me, it was a positional thing is that when I'd have studies, if I was on my back, that's when I have apneas. On my side, I would not. And some people even have things because they don't want to wear a CPAP because they can be annoying. They'll have like a tennis ball shown, sewn into the back of their shirt or a special pillow to try to keep them on their side. Other things that can happen is like a narrow jaw, like a big tongue. I had three sinus surgeries, which I think also were connected to the apnea for breathing. I forget there. When you say connected, do you mean beneficial for or, or caused? Yeah, I think I had issues with my whole airway, right? Where I couldn't barely breathe out of my nose. I had a deviated septum. I had two turbinate reductions to be able to breathe better. And then the final one that was the best with all of my sinus infections were they put this balloon into my sinus and they blew it up and I could hear it crack and it made my sinuses bigger. That allowed my sinuses to drain <clears throat> finally. And then I didn't have like eight sinus infections per year. I went to eight to zero, which was insane. Just on that one, I was an outpatient procedure and the other turbinate reductions where they go and they shave some part of your sinus down and the deviated septum one and getting my tonsils out. Tonsils is another thing that they thought could help it. Those are all like put you under huge recovery so that the, the balloon thing, I don't even know what it's called, but was amazing. Talk to your doctor. In terms of supplements too, I would not call Ambien a supplement yeah. or melatonin or magnesium. Those things might make you go to sleep, but they're not going to help with apnea. This is, this is really tough. Like, especially with the effect of your training and go up 25 pounds, apnea will make you, it's like lowers testosterone. It increases risks of cancer, like all forms of like death. It increases. If you look at it, it, it like sleep is so important. It, it's just so hard because I want to give you like a solution and I can't other than like wear the CPAP and keep going with that. Because if you wear the CPAP and your events are down and you're still tired, this also happened to me. I had ADHD that was undiagnosed and it was a separate thing. And me getting out of bed had more to do with dopamine and stress than it did with sleep apnea. Sleep apnea helped reduce that and, and improve it. It was like a one of many things. And I was also, you know, I was married and had issues with that and stress with work and all of that. 
and I would use caffeine in order to get going. That was a stimulant that would help the ADHD. Adderall has really been life-changing in terms of that, to be able to get out of bed and, and, and move around. And antidepressive, well, Wellbutrin too. And that could also be depression, could be linked to this. So you might, so what I'm saying is I had many issues and just solving one, like you, I had to get a jackpot. I had to solve all the issues in order to kind of have that increase in life. So solve this, solve this, use the CPAP, have no events, and then start talking to other people. I would say either mental. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's all mental. The, I just talk to, I don't know, talk to other doctors and mental health and stuff. It is a journey. I went to like the Mayo clinic to try to figure it out why I was so tired and I would sleep 12 hours and still be in bed all day long. And it was a mix for me between depression and ADHD. And two, when I got them, got them treated, I'm not sure if the depression helped ADHD or the, when I was, when I was treated for ADHD, that lowered the depression because I was getting out of bed and I was doing things and I, more than so than before. Yeah. Thanks, Nate, for sharing your, your perspective on it. You're welcome. I, I feel like we can put all of that stuff, like leave that as it is in the sense that like there, it's got to be really frustrating to feel like you're just going to doctors and not getting clear answers or not getting a clear solution. But I do think that they're probably where a lot of the help resides. Alex, can we compartmentalize that and then take like a nutritionist perspective on this? Like, are there certain things that you've noticed like trends with athletes that might be in this situation and any sort of, because maybe there's some nutritional guidance that's a lot cheaper and more actionable for this person to put into place that might help. Like Nate said, it's probably not going to solve it, right? Like you need the all four things to roll down on the jackpot, but it might help. Yeah. A couple of things come to mind. Caffeine would be one, you know, if you're not waking up like feeling recovered and ready to go most days of the week, you might be using caffeine to kind of help get you through the day. So keep in mind that caffeine takes about eight hours to fully leave your system. So if you're struggling to fall asleep in the evening, make sure that you think of your bedtime count back eight hours. And that's like your last time that you're consuming caffeine for the day. The other thing that I tend to see with athletes, it's not that they come in saying I'm sleeping really poorly, but they notice that once they start improving nutrition and we get them fueling enough that they notice that they sleep much better throughout the night. And I think that has to do honestly with hormones getting back to, you know, like, like I said, that stress when your body's really stressed, sometimes we don't sleep as well. So if we can get hormones regulated back to normal because you're just feeling better and feeling more consistently, we tend to see our athletes sleeping better as well. But yeah, that stress is a big piece of that. And I would say probably with the body weight going up 25 pounds, that that would be my my biggest indicator right there, that there's some sort of stress response going on like that. Yeah. That's like, I feel like the big thing with this too, or just a, a thing that you could be falling into, depending on when you train during the day too, right, Alex? Because mm -hmm. timing your nutrition with that sort of thing, like if you're going to bed completely depleted or you're training in the morning really depleted and that sort of thing, and you're kind of getting caught into the cycle, you can be driven down to that like low energy availability and it's really tough to get back on top of it if you go to bed hungry all the time or you just wake up and train without fueling. Awesome. It's, okay. Uh, so uh, two, I want to say that to the next one. it is a cycle between all of this. It is the, so you, you'd like caffeine. <laughs> Thumbs up. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. It just, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the, it is a cycle between late caffeine or late training. You can't sleep well. That could also be related to depression. You wake up in the morning and then you don't want to get out of bed. So you do more caffeine. 
you wait, you procrastinate your workout, you feel bad about yourself because you haven't done anything, you train late, and then the issue happens again. And then you're like, oh, but then uh, maybe you skip a day and you're like, you know what I'm going to do is just not eat because I like I didn't train yesterday, so I don't have the, the to earn this. And then that makes increases the depression, and then you don't sleep as well. And it's just this cycle that keeps going and going and going and going and going. And really what Alex said, like, I feel so much better. I do a giant salad with like nuts and fruit and vegetables and spinach and then don't have any caffeine after like noon and just that alone will change your life like mm-hmm. oh, yeah. it's crazy and for us too the extra nitrates in that spinach will really help us train there is science on that mm-hmm. you know what Nate was saying too about trying to find help to figure out sleep apnea and just get care and what Matt is also describing saying consulted physicians uh, seems like they weren't really offering good solutions it just reminds me of and it's a good reminder for athletes and just like everyone how hard it is sometimes to advocate for yourself to get help medically. Like, Matt, you're not alone in this. Like, especially women struggle with this a lot. Like, we'll have legitimate medical emergencies. And I have a handful of, you know, close friends that have been dismissed like, oh, woman on period, go home. And like ruptured appendix or something crazy, you know? And so those are extreme examples. But it's really hard when you're talking about things like sleep apnea and hormone levels and what can be causing all these issues to really fight for just getting like a blood work panel is like really hard sometimes. So Matt, like I feel for you when you, we, when you say that you've consulted physicians and haven't been happy with what you've gotten, like that's tough and keep trying to get help. I know it's hard. It feels like an uphill battle, but you just have to keep trying to get help. Between like therapists, psychiatrists and doctors that I have like talked to with this probably 10 and it was my last psychiatrist and it was the first appointment. She just is like, describe your life. And she's asking me some questions and she's like, you hit every single marker of ADHD. Let's start you on some Adderall. And she's like, she treated my sister. Like, my, your sister also has it. And then it was just like, that was it. Everything changed. And I had like, for those who don't know, it's should be called like cognitive or no executive function disorder. It's ADHD seems like you're going to be hyperactive. It's basically, I can't control my focus unless I'm hyper-focused on something. And I can't make myself do stuff. It's kind of like touching. If you, if I told everyone who doesn't have it, like touch this hot stove, you could physically do it, but it would be so hard for you to actually touch it. And that's what it can feel like to get out of bed. And you might think that, Hey, I just didn't sleep well. That's why I don't want to get out of bed. It's so much easier to sit here on my phone and like doom scroll, which is also be depression. It's like, they're all interlinked. And it's, it, it was just so validating to know that like, Hey, I'm just not a lazy person. And I was able to build trainer road cause I get hyper-focused and John, you pretty see me in meetings. Like if I get hyper-focused on something, I will go like three hours and everyone's like, can we break? I'm like, why would you break? Like, it's just, <laughs> just let's talk about this. I'm, let's I'm go. Just, I'm just hitching on to Nate's train and I'm hoping I can stay on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. if it's something like taxes yeah. that I don't like to deal with or accounting, I'm like, Oh, this is so hard. I don't want to come to this meeting. And I just like, my mind wanders. Yeah, but Nate, it was yeah, so anyways. hard for you to like find that person that to them it was so, so clear, hard. so obvious, so like right away what you were experiencing. And so such a, you know, in theory, easy fix. And think about how many healthcare practitioners you had to see to to find this person, you know? It's really I, it's so it can be so discouraging. I signed up for this executive Mayo Clinic health thing and I flew to Minnesota and drove to Rochester and like spent like two nights there and did this whole panel thing. And the guy's like, no, like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I like, mm. and I saw multiple doctors, I saw like four or five doctors and did cardio tests and sleep apnea tests that I was okay with my CPAP. But I'm just saying, you're going to, you might have to see multiple people in order to, you probably, 
I mean, you've already seen one person and didn't fix it. So I would see multiple people. Don't just listen to the one doctor and then yeah. find other doctors. Yeah. Don't give yeah. up, Matt. Awesome. Yeah. We're here with you. You're not the only one. Somebody else is probably going through something that probably supporting you in the comments. Let them know. Elena's question says, my question is for the women of the podcast. I hope you'll consider covering it. Yes, absolutely. Elena. Uh, this year I've stopped taking birth control and my cycle has finally returned to a consistent schedule, but I've noticed that it seems like my performance potential is more affected by my period. Now I've tried altering my training load and intensity for different phases of my cycle, but I feel like this actually hasn't been necessary. Instead, the biggest thing I notice seems to be how my body reacts to nutrition and hydration. And I'm wondering if I should be adjusting either the fluid amount, sodium and or carbohydrate amount I'm taking in depending on where I'm at in my cycle. Do you all have any advice for this? Uh, Alex, Yeah. Uh, your thought, yeah, you lead. <laughs> <laughs> you and Nate, you talk amongst yourselves and Ivy and I will take, take care of it. Hey guys, we'll go, go get some coffee. We'll see you later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Welcome to Coffee Talk. <laughs> all right. So what's really exciting about this is that there recently has been more and more research on female athletes and fueling around the menstrual cycle. And so I think probably in the past like two years, I think we've started to see research studies come out and actually give us like some really good, like actionable advice. So let's break down the menstrual cycle into the two phases. So there's the follicular phase and the luteal phase and the follicular, follicular phase that begins the day that you get your period until about day 14. And then ovulation is the beginning of the luteal phase. And that goes to about day 28, depending on how long, um, your cycle is. And if you find that your cycle is really short or it's really long, there might be some hormonal dysfunction going on that might need to be addressed as well. Um, but with the follicular phase, um, hormones are going to be at their lowest. So this is actually when many women are going to feel their strongest and they're going to recover the fastest. Um, so this is a great time to shoot for higher intensity workouts. If you're racing, shoot for a PR. Your body is going to really use carbs very well and efficiently during this time. So definitely look to fueling with the carbs, reloading those glycogen levels. A couple things though is like the those first few days of your period, we tend to see some bloating, some water retention that's pretty common. So this is the time to really focus on staying hydrated. You might want to just watch your sodium intake a little bit there just to kind of help alleviate some of the bloating. But you might also just notice that because your body is taking in those carbs so well that you might just see your glycogen stores are a little bit higher. And so with those like glycogen stores being higher, we do tend to see a little bit of like, you feel just a little bit puffier because with glycogen, you see some water stored with that as well. And then the luteal phase, you will want to bump up your protein intake just because our hormone levels are much higher than estrogen and progesterone. So it's going to make it harder to build and maintain muscle mass. So just keeping a little bit higher protein intake will help support that. And then something that women aren't really aware of and during the luteal phase, we do have a higher basal metabolic rate. So about 10 to 20% increase. So adding in like a little snack during the day, a little protein rich snack, like a hundred to 300 calories somewhere in there can really help just support that. Because what happens is you feel a little bit more hungry and you get a little afraid of like, Oh, am I like, I'm so much, I'm so hungry. I don't want to like eat more because I don't want to gain weight. There's this little bit of fear there. And then by the time that you get to your period, your just body is so overly hungry. And that's where we tend to see us like 
overeating in that situation. So just keep that in mind that when you when you get into that luteal phase, that it's okay to have a little extra snack so that you don't get overly hungry and start, you know, eating everything in your kitchen kind of situation. So those are my my biggest tips to fueling around your cycle that way. But just make sure first and foremost that you're eating well, you've got a good foundation, and then you can hone in on the little details of where you are in your cycle as well. Mm-hmm. I almost guarantee that that's what Elena is experiencing. And yeah. that's what I for sure experienced. That's why it's important as an athlete to track your menstrual cycle and know it, it helps you realigns your, your expectations for training and performance. But also I think what Elena is experiencing is for recovery as well. When what you're describing, Alex, is such a higher need for calories. And, you know, I'm sure that if Elena isn't cognizant of that and compensating for what is really needed during that during that time period, then of course, you know, once you, once that phase is over, it's not like a switch flips and suddenly you're like, yay, I don't need as much now. You know, that can really carry over weeks and weeks if you really mess up during this time period and are under fueling. And so I'm sure that's what Elaine is experiencing when it's like, whoa, what's, this is affecting my hydration and on the bike nutrition, like what's happening. I'm sure it's carrying over much longer than just the luteal phase, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another thing too, is for women on like an IUD that don't get their period, and then they have no idea where they're even at in their cycle, that can make things a little challenging too. But sometimes with those with birth control, it just kind of helps stabilize hormones a little bit more. But that's another thing too, we're needing more and more research and information. We're just kind of like, just starting to get into it. So I'm excited to see, you know, in the next five, 10 years, what type of more research we get and get a little more clarity under this topic. And if, if you are on birth control, would you have the same, like, would it be impacted the same way? It would depend on the birth control. Cause every, I mean, there's like the mini pill and then there's, you know, your normal pill and then there's IUDs. So it, it just depends on, cause, and even some birth control isn't even hormonal. There's, you know, the copper IUD that's, it, it just depends on what type you're on. I'm thinking of a, uh, like hormonal orthotricycline kind of standard, uh, yeah. yeah, I'd have to look and see how that impacts hormones. I don't know off the top of my head, but yes, in terms of your cycle, I would say that you can still follow the guidelines that I provided in terms of yeah. you know, fueling yourself. Is there a favorite like menstrual cycle tracking app? Uh, I, have, I have a point to this. Yeah, let me see. There's a couple that I've recommended in the past, like Flow, F-L-O, or there's another one. I think it's called Clue. There's a couple free apps that you can yeah, use. I think those are the big ones. And those integrate into Apple Health, I'm pretty sure. I think so, uh, yeah. Yeah. So my, my point is, like, if you're listening to this and you're a woman, please, like, start recording it and putting it into Apple Health so that we can pull that data later. Because what we want to do is have adaptive training, edit your workouts based on where you are in your phase. And what we need is lots of examples, like a history of this, so that we can use our machine learning to figure out, like Alex said, we want more research. Hey, we're the ones that can do it to figure out what the difference is. I mentioned this in my, my uh, CEO update that I did is we have a machine learning that will predict how well you're going to do on workouts based on your past experience. Really, that's the, by predicting how well you can do, we can then change your workout, right? If we predict that it's going to be harder than it should be, we can change that workout. And what we can then do it as a macro level is say, if we add this, this feature, this is where you are in your, in your cycle and it does get harder or it does get easier. Like what the result is, 
then we can give some actual data about how much this impacts you. And then later on, if we can put in like, if you are on certain birth controls, layer that in to kind of tease things out about hormonal versus not versus IUD, that would also be pretty interesting, but we need the data. So we could push women's health and fitness research ahead, I think would be really, really cool. And we'll, we'll definitely, if we figure something out, we would then share that with the world to say what, what we saw. And it's worth stating too, that it's that sort of data. We wouldn't know who that belongs to. Like when we're looking at that, it's not like we're looking at an individual by name and looking at that, but rather yeah. it's, it's scale. Our models can, so it's private. Um, yeah, what would happen is that it, it share would, any data like that. It would be associated. Yeah. We never share any with anyone. It would be associated with your account, but then the machine learning just doesn't know anything and just comes out with um, generalities. And then when it, when it runs through, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it, 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 it would, it would do it anonymously, just like your training, your location data and all that kind of stuff. We don't, we don't look at that or, or share that with anybody. Yep. Yeah. And all the information I gave is also on my blog. I've got a, we've really built out our female athlete nutrition information. So if you head to my website and on the blog, you'll see a whole category for female athlete nutrition. And so we have a whole blog post on fueling around your workout. So if you're taking notes vigorously, just go there because a lot of that information is, is on there. And what's the blog? So it's alexlarsonnutrition.com and then just slash, slash blog. So you'll see there's a whole category for the female stuff. Alex, do you find okay. that, you know, Elena said that this year I've stopped taking birth control and my cycle has finally returned to consistent schedule, but you know, that could, that could have been a month ago or six months ago. Do you find with other athletes, I know a lot of female athletes that once they stop taking birth control, they're, it takes their body such a long time to get back into a normal state and not just talking about menstrual cycle, like energy levels and like body composition. It's a really big change that your body undergoes when you suddenly stop taking hormones like that. Is that something you've experienced with athletes that work with you or have you had any experience of that? I haven't seen that too much with our female athletes. I mean, when I read this, you know, at first when she said my cycle finally returned to a consistent schedule, I also was like, oh, I wonder if there was a nutritional piece as well. Because sometimes athletes, female athletes will lose their period just from, you know. Reds, right? Yeah, reds, for sure. And so we did have one athlete this year who didn't even tell me up front that she had hadn't been getting a consistent period. But then a couple months in, she was so excited to report that it Mm. had came back and it was consistently coming back. And she was continuing to like perform really well. So that was Mm -hmm. exciting for her and for us, you know, because we didn't, she didn't disclose that at first, which is fine. But we were really happy to hear that because if she had told us that up front, that would have been of our top priority. Like number one, we'd be like, okay, we need to work on getting that back. But it just happened kind of just... Per- perk of, you know, just feeling better for her. So. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Last question is from Ryder says, what's up train road. I'm a college freshman and thoroughly enjoying my first year of collegiate cycling. If you know what I mean, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, it says, I've got a question about taking in too much sodium. I've heard you guys say that if you take in too much sodium, you just sweat it out. But I recently had an extreme scenario where at the end of a big night of pre-race festivities involving a, sky, a skyscraper of Domino's <laughs> pizza and wings and a lot of PBR and fireball while camping at the race venue, I had the bright idea to be responsible and mix my bottles before going to bed. I, of course, have no clue how this could have happened, but I ended up mixing two <laughs> bottles worth of electrolyte mix, which was 3,000 milligrams in one bo- 500 milliliter bottle. 
I didn't realize this until I started my XCO race. And of course I had already sodium loaded before the race, taking in 1500 milligrams. Oh my gosh. When racing XC, I like to drink electrolytes and eat my carbs through gels. So I took in a gel after the start chaos settled, then took a gulp of the only thing worse than a fireball shot mm. that I've taken in a race. <laughs> I figured that even though it tasted terrible, I might as well drink it because it seemed a more favorable option to not drinking anything but toward the end of the one hour and 45 minute race. And after taking on hundred grams of carbs, which is my normal rate for a race this long, my gut felt like I had a hot bag of rocks and I had to take an emergency diarrhea stop in the woods on the last lap. The diarrhea. Now I know what you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> now I know what you're thinking, but the activities from the night before are normal for us every race. And I haven't had this issue yet. So based on this, and he says an asterisk, very scientific experiment, I declare the only feasible cause for this is the insane amounts of sodium I took in. But is this right? Could too much sodium cause my stomach to explode like this? Or does that only happen with carbs? Many thanks to our ever faithful podcast guides. Oh, writer. <laughs> Sweet angel, <laughs> baby. <laughs> should we go to Ivy first on this one? Or we well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, first of all, uh, only mix your bottles sober. <laughs> we know this now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, man. I just, I think it's hard to isolate where you know the cause of the diarrhea and all your GI issues, you know, I, it's, it's, it'd be pretty hard to say, you know, exactly. It's because you did, it's the sodium, like it's the sodium's fault. It's mm. the drink mix fault. Like that's what happened. Like, are you sure not the skyscraper of dominoes and wings and fireball from yesterday? You know, yeah, I'm sure that Alex can agree, but I don't think it was just the drink mix. Like, yes, too much sodium, can cause issues, whether they're GI or not, I'm not sure, but I think it probably has to do with the rest of the <laughs> happenings before race that had something to do with that. <laughs> yeah, I think it just feels like the about? perfect storm of GI issues there. <laughs> but <laughs> I yeah, yeah. But like hypernatremia, a uh, major side effect of that is the diarrhea. So, <laughs> so, I mean, the poor food choices and alcohol the evening before, the high intake of sodium i mean like i said probably a perfect storm and caused that explosion to happen and i don't want to sound too much of like uh, a mother here but like <laughs> maybe might be a good idea to change up your routine the night before a race i don't know how serious you are about racing but you're you're basically just relying on your youth to get you through this because you get a day over 30 and you're not even going to make it to the start line doing that as your routine the night before. <laughs> so that's, that's my advice is, you know, party it up any other time, but the night before a race, like let's, let's be reasonable and take the race seriously. And then, you know, party it up the, the next night. I mean that thinking of like the osmotic imbalance that it causes, right. In the sense that like yeah. you have a ton of sodium, and then what's going to happen is that's going to cause your body is really good at trying to balance things out. So it's going to pull water out of all of your cells, which is probably going to make it so that you can't perform well as well with like, you know, it's going to inhibit glycolysis and everything else that's going on. But when it pulls all that water into your digestive tract to try to dilute this and to try to pull it into your blood to try to dilute and everything else, yeah, it's going to give you diarrhea. That's what's going to happen for sure. And then it also causes irritation when there's too much sodium in your blood as well. And that could then cause issues where like more water is, is secreted into your digestive tract, which then causes diet. There's like a lot of different mm -hmm. 
mechanisms on going on here, Ryder. So you're right in that assumption, I would assume for sure. I've had this before, but not the night before sort of festivities, but I've had this before where I've taken in too much sodium on accident in the middle of a ride. And I've had the same issues with it. So like, I know we've said on the podcast, like, you know, take it in, don't worry, you can sweat it out. But we've always been talking within like reasonable amounts. You know, a lot of people we've talked about getting sweat tests where you might get 750 milliliters up to like some people even are sorry, 750 milligrams. And some people have been tested upwards of 2000 milligrams that they sweat out an hour that I've seen. I don't know if, had, if anybody's been tested. We had one that had 3,500 an hour. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so That's like a problem because like, how do you even take that in? Right? Like, yeah. It was, uh, it was what did that athlete us. have to do? Yeah. Well, and what was interesting was he wasn't even really having cramping issues. He just was never quite feeling real great, like during and after his, his training. And so we're like, okay, well, we got to roll electrolytes out. And it came back so high. So quite a bit of preloading going on. And then just trying to find a fuel product that would give him a really high dose. I think we were looking at like precision hydration probably has some of the highest the sodium. T- yeah, they've got a 1500 milligram tablet and just looking at how we can fill that gap as best as possible to get them through. Hmm. Nate. Yeah, Ryder too. I'm looking at Domino's and their wings are 14 piece wings, depending on the sauce could be 40, like almost 5,000 milligrams of sodium right there with just 14 wings, which I think is as a college person pre- like you could totally eat that. Easy. The, yeah, forty <laughs> wings is could be almost fourteen thousand milligrams of sodium, and then the pizza. For, okay, well, forty. Well, come on, <laughs> forty. <laughs> okay, anything's possible, Ivy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then Domino's itself, like a cheese pizza, like a small one, was something like I don't know twenty five hundred uh, around there. Like plus the fifteen hundred, plus the next day you're drinking salt water as you start the race. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. And then you're dehydrated. Like your whole body's messed up from the drinking that the hydration and you're just throwing the salt in, like, as John said, and it's trying to too much at once. It's, it's got to equal it's that a out. a really high fat meal the night before. And think of like a really high fat meal. That's oh, like that lubricant on your guts right there. So <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what if we, what if we were to design a way to suck at your race as much as possible? <laughs> I think it would be this. <laughs> Sorry. <right> high, <laughs> high, like, just roasting it. Right? Just like fireball and wings and then drink salt water. Like, yeah, that's, <laughs> I'm sorry. This, uh, yeah, I, I hope he hears this in, in jest, but yeah, don't, if you need to party, do it for the day afterwards. A lot Classic college freshman right there. I mean, you nailed it, Ryder, right there. Yeah. Wait a minute. What's college freshman? What's the drinking age? Ryder. Mm. I'm contacting <laughs> the FBI. You're, he's in Europe, you're I'm busted, sure. buddy. <laughs> he's in Europe, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, this brings up, let's end on the, the social component of this because collegiate cycling, like the night before, is probably going to. So if Ryder's hearing this and you're, if you're hearing this outside of Ryder or if you are a Ryder and you find that yourself in this sort of environment, like it's complicated because the night before you want to hang out with your friends and do all that stuff. I promise you, though, you can still hang out. You can still do all those things, but then you can still make the sort of choices that that can elevate your performance and make it so that you aren't making a, a, a mid-race wood stop for diarrhea. So yeah. you can still have fun. You can still be present. You can still support all your friends. You can engage in that camaraderie. You totally can. You just, and you can still do those things separately. We tend to like, I think a, built out of like social anxiety, we build up this like, I need to do everything that everybody is doing. Like I need to be all in into this experience in order to 
be a part of it and to be accepted. That's like a an internal dialogue. I think that a lot happens, but people just want, Ryder, you sound just from reading this, you sound like a really fun guy mm -hmm. and you sound like an awesome person to hang out with. And I guarantee you that all your friends will want to hang out with you just the same, even if you're not hitting fireball or doing that sort yeah, of stuff. Take care There's of yourself like, and then you can smoke their butts in the race the next day. <laughs> There's like a <laughs> combination fun. too of like the more I do, the more like party and cool I am by, you know, the, the, uh -huh. the amount of dominoes, the amount of fireball and stuff like that. And, if you do choose to drink, you get to do a little bit and still have some of the fun. You don't need to do it to an excess amount. And I did that in college too, after I was 21, of course. Yeah. When we were talking earlier <laughs> about, you know, folks that will make you feel weird about not drinking or put pressure on you. This is the demographic that I'm thinking of, unfortunately, is like younger college athletes, like me playing college volleyball and then also doing a little bit of collegiate cycling, like, and Yeah. Younger people that don't maybe have the emotional, you know, cognizance to be like, hey, someone's asking me or like someone's like telling me that they want to do a good job in the race tomorrow and so they're not going to drink. Yeah, I should just listen to them and support them. Like, unfortunately, that doesn't happen very often with <laughs> younger folks, you know, so it can be hard. Like, this is the group of this is the setting that I was thinking of when you're thinking or when you're trying to not drink and you get pressured. Like, it seems seems like no one now would do anything like that, but it totally happens. So it might be hard for Ryder. Like I get it. Yeah. At the very least, Ryder, you have our support. You're doing just fine. And you don't have to, it doesn't make you a square, man. You can still have an absolute blast and, and be a ton of fun to be with and everything else. Yeah. And like Alex said, just go to smoke them and then be like, what? <laughs> don't gloat. <laughs> yeah. Just have fun with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> be the friend. Nate, did well, you have one other thing to add? Sorry, I couldn't tell. No, you. just that, that they should gloat. Yeah, they should glow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right, everybody. If uh, the way that this podcast works is you send questions to trainerroad.com slash podcast. If you haven't done that recently, if you haven't done that at all, you totally should do it. Send whatever training questions you have. And really the main way this works is because Trainer Road still exists and continues to grow. And it's thanks to people like you that are listening to this, that share it with your friends and sign up for Trainer Road. Keep doing that please keep doing that. Rate Spotify, rate this podcast on Spotify and go to our YouTube channel and subscribe. We'll talk to you all soon. Thanks a bunch, Alex, for joining us. Oh, thank you. Take care.